This is an episode of Writers Get Topical. And what's more topical in 2020 in America than funny internet animals and biblical montages? Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about animation, storytelling, and plagues of biblical proportions. I'm Chris Leva. And I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And today we're discussing plagues in the many different forms that plagues can take by using two beautiful examples in two very different works of art of the Prince of Egypt from 1998. Ah, simpler time that was. And We Bear Bears the Movie from 2020. I, those, just there's lots of time between them on top of, ah, man, I, there's so much different, but not in a bad way between these movies. It's like the aesthetic, the tone, the storytelling, how they were made, like the proportion of target audience, like the, the time period. actual diversity versus like <laughs> pretend diversity. <laughs> I can't wait to get into it. So I think... We were discussing what we should do, what we should talk about for these episodes, because the summer months are always interesting because usually we get some interesting movies to go see and talk about. Uh, 2020 was like, no, no summer movies for you. Um, You can talk about other things because uh, because of plagues, because of 2020 plagues. Mm-hmm. And I think, as you were saying, there are two main plagues that we have happening. There's the plague of COVID-19. And there's the plague of racism. Yes. And, and that's, I mean, that's that's kind of the, the pithy pop culture observation of, like, the dueling plagues. And I'm not going to call it wrong. I think it's hard to call racism in America plague if it's always been there. Uh, <laughs> but I think a for a lot of people... A festering infection. A festering and long-standing infection. Yeah. Like, what, I won't... That's too dark. I won't go there. Okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, lots of topical problems in the news right now, even if we don't have a, a ton of new animated blockbuster movies or anything. So we can still talk about these things because these tools are available because we have maybe not a blockbuster animated movie, but we have a new animated movie from the summer. And we have an old blockbuster animated movie uh, that deals with these topics in various ways of effectiveness. We have, like you're saying, The Prince of Egypt from 1998 um, with literal plagues. We could talk about where this metaphor comes from and what that means in that movie. (laughs) <laughs> right. And we have We Bear Bears, the movie, which is everyone's heartfelt conclusion to We Bear Bears, the series, which is all <laughs> about putting children in cages. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> Ta-da! Um, it's not a... It, it, it does it well and tastefully, kind of... If you followed We Bear Bears at all... Um, 
you've known all along that it's about race in, in some way and in many ways. And I've seen um, Mikey Heller, one of the head writers, and Daniel Chong and several other people in person a couple times now at the SF Sketchfest. Um, and they talk about the show and it's great to hear that. And I think at one point, uh, Daniel was asked like why people are so mean to the bears all the time. He goes, well, it's because we, we not going to talk overtly about racism in our show, but ultimately a lot of people just hate bears. And so in the show it's important for us to just show people just being unnecessarily mean to these bears and how they work with that. And I was like, oh yeah, this, that is what happens in this show. That's the origin of most of their problems. It's people being inordinately mean to bears for no reason. Hmm. And we've hmm. talked about We Bear Bears on our podcast before as a good representation of diversity, not just from the, the background humans that represent San Francisco in the Bay Area um, and just the great diversity that's shown there and the amount of care and depth they take in doing things like their Korean spa episode, which if you haven't seen is fantastic. Um, but also it's just, if you haven't done any digging, we Bear bears is insanely popular in Asia Pacific because of course it's got an Asian American creator and it's so specific to so many cultural things from Asian culture. Um, like the Korean spa, uh, that people have picked this up and you can find all kinds of crazy bears merchandise in like Taiwan, for example. Hmm. So race, racism, bears. We'll get to that. That's second. That's second. First, we'll talk about <laughs> Prince of Egypt. Um, so I don't, yeah, 2020 is been, has been, one of the strangest years for everybody. I don't want to get into like start throwing around the word words like unprecedented or anything, but that's a good way of saying it without saying it because you say I don't want to, and then you say the thing you don't want to say. So mm -hmm. I, I recognize what I'm doing there, and I'm sure all of you are too. But it's it is interesting um, to talk about this time with a young child in the world you know how i've been have my soon to be eight year old my gosh like a month and a half he'll be eight uh jack and talking about the world and how the world looks and how the world feels with him with giving it's it's a balance of two things giving hope for the future and not and not filling him with fear and dread for the present. Mm -hmm. So how do you, uh, how do, are you authentic and truthful about the current moment without letting it get dark so that way you lose hope? And I, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I think that like news is so accessible to young people these days too. Because even when, when I was young and in high school in the post 9-11 world, we still had internet news and cable news was everywhere and it was accessible. But I think even now, like it's so accessible. You you couldn't prevent a child from hearing the news if you wanted to. Not that you should yeah. either. Yeah, it's just everywhere. It's just permeated 
into everything. You know, there are uh, podcasts that your parents may be listening to. There may be Facebook images. Even if your kid comes over to give you a hug and you're scrolling through something, the image that they may see will bring up a question. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I was reading, this isn't topical necessarily, but I was reading a a memoir and uh, Jack comes over and says, hey, could you... Could you read a sentence from it to see if it's something I might be interested in? I really couldn't find (laughs) on that particular page. I had to like skip around. Um, I was reading a a memoir called Some Girls, My Life in a Harem. Mm. Uh, It was an interesting book. Uh, Jillian Lauren uh, wrote it. Uh, But it was not appropriate for an eight-year-old to read that particular page that I was on. So... But they they are interested and they hear and they see. And the the question is, how do we represent that through our artwork? And I don't think that we will start to see the artwork influenced by 2020 until like 2025 or 2026. I think the ones that we're seeing right now are the things that are being released now are from an earlier time that are now being manifested into, you know, they're now coming to fruition, even though they've been in the works for three, yeah. four years. <laughs> and so they're not really a long cycle. Right. So they're not of this time, even though they may still say something about this time, you know, there's still some catch up time. And then I think, the things that are happening now will be shown in in the artwork in years to come. And the artwork that's being created and rushed out now has tinges of desperation and fear alongside it. And I I can't wait till we actually look at it um, later on in, in years and see what this actually means once we've had time to sit with it and investigate it and hopefully heal from it. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens with all this capital T trauma that we're all experiencing. <laughs> mm, trauma. I laugh because I don't know what else to do. <laughs> 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 Shall we talk about the Bible? <laughs> oh, that's a transition of all time. Um, <laughs> well, to be clear, we're not talking about the Bible Bible. Um, we'll talk about the Prince of Egypt, which opens up with a, um, text on a black card telling you to read the Bible. Uh, <laughs> right. And I think that there's so much to be said about the intention behind this movie, uh, and what that actually was. But I think ultimately it boils down to the short story. Jeffrey Katzenberg wanted to do an animated version of the 10 commandments movie. And you can read into that as deep as you will, whatever that means. And they don't even get really to the commandments part, except at the very end in a montage in this montage movie. Well, it's not really... When you boil it down to the story that they're trying to tell, uh, I think we'll say a little bit more, but it's interesting what you have to leave out. It's adaptation all over again. You know, What mm-hmm. do you take in a story and what's the point that you want to tell? So we have... DreamWorks' first full-length animated feature, traditional animation, directed by Brenda Chapman, who would go on to co-direct Brave. Uh, 
Steve Hickner, and Simon Wells, uh, with songs by Stephen Schwartz and a score by Hans Zimmer. So in some ways, it feels very much like, let's take the, a 1990s dream team from Disney Animation and put them to work at this brand new studio. And they took, you know, I think like a hundred and some artists from Disney and other places to try to form this company of creators and get this movie made. And it feels like they approach it with a very specific approach rather than a more holistic approach, especially what we see from Disney and Pixar now, this very holistic story approach. But I, for me personally, Prince of Egypt, I think, does a handful of things really, really well and memorably that still hold up today. And there's other parts of this movie that are just an absolute mess. Uh, <laughs> and I know that I'm in the minority of academic opinion on that. Um, but it's interesting because you point out that a lot of this is developed from it's it's story driven. It's storyboard artists creating the film. And I think that's what it feels like in the end product. And I think that story driven animation doesn't have to feel that way. And I think more modern storyboard driven stuff has evolved past that. But what really works mostly in this movie are is the imagery. Mm-hmm. And it's some really, really cool images that aren't just animated well, but they look well, they say a lot, they're how they're framed cinematographically. Um, don't judge me too much for Nigel for pronouncing that badly. Um, and how it says something about the characters in that moment. It's really, I mean, biblical, I guess, <laughs> in scale and proportion. It feels like what the movie The Ten Commandments always wanted to be, and they finally mm. realize that animation, even if some of the scenes are nonsense, like a whale in the Red Sea where it's like 40 feet deep, uh, but it looks really cool to see the thunder, the lightning illuminating the shadow of a whale behind this wall of water as the main characters march in a line of ants at the bottom of the screen. You see this giant leviathan. So it it's scale. I mean, yeah. that's that's what they that's what this movie is about. In some ways, it's about the scale and power of <laughs> one theme is scale and power. Who has the power and what is real power and what does that look like? I mean, that's a theme that permeates through. I don't think that's the core theme. But I think it's uh, that's one of the biggest pieces of it is scale, grandeur, power. Because the first things that we see um, being built, you know, on screen, are slaves, the Hebrew slaves, building huge monuments to um, <laughs> to the Pharaoh. That's that's who it is to the Pharaoh. Um, and then we get some really terrific shots later on of the throne room, and we see what's been built. We see the giant statue and that just the head of the statue rising up. So we know how high they are up. And then you see the real pharaoh standing next to it, and you feel like he has that whole power behind him. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. It's very pretty. There's a lot of good setup. And I wish that like any of the emotional uh, 
stories got resolved in a satisfying way. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it is interesting how visual this this film is. I, I think I've seen it now four times in my life. I, I saw it in theaters in December 1998 when it came out. Um, I think I was in Illinois at a friend's house. We saw it there. Uh, saw it on VHS once. Uh, and then I, my wife claims that I've watched it with her one time, and I cannot remember watching it with her at all. And she keeps saying, yes, yes, we watched it together. We watched it together. So I'll, I'll keep, I'll put that in there. Um, 15 years of being married has told me, yes, then we probably did. I may have misremembered. <laughs> anyway, having seen it just so few times in the past 20 some years, uh, they, the images are just burned there. They are so vivid and striking and different from what Disney was doing in 1990s that I, I just remember full sequences. Mm -hmm. And when they came back, it took very little for me to remember what was going to happen and how things worked. You know, there's this the moment of um, where the pharaoh, where Ramesses is feeling angry and he has his eyes closed. And then there's a musical cue and his eyes like open up and stare at Moses. I just remember that, that moment really striking and lots of other things um, where it's like, oh yeah, this, this moment, I remember this moment very, very clearly. I think there may have been four sequences that I did not remember what they were. You know, it's like, oh yeah, this, but it just took a moment to be reminded that it was in there. I, I think for me, like I, I saw it in theaters in 1998 and I think that I kind of got like, it became like a school movie almost, not like actual literal public school, but like Sunday school um, mm. where it's like, hey, class for the next couple weeks, we're going to watch this movie. And I don't know if I just remember that being around that because my mom taught Sunday school, but not my class. Um, and I think she showed this a lot. Um, so maybe it's just my brain just recategorized it into like, remember the Titans and like Sybil. And it's just like, okay, you don't need to remember any of these things. <laughs> this movie goes in this <laughs> bucket of your brain now. Um, so I'd forgotten a lot about this. And I think that they do accomplish a lot of what they say at the very beginning in the title card that they're going to do. Like, this isn't literally what's in this book in many cases, but it's spiritually trying to represent that. And they do that in such a good way. Um, the burning bush scene. Yeah. So good. It's exactly the spirit of what that story is. It's, and it's new and interesting because it's a burning dead bush that grows and comes back to life. It's a reverse burning that's really interesting and visually satisfying to see that arc in that moment for Moses as a character and reading about the scene and realizing, oh, it's just Val Kilmer as the voice of Moses also doing the voice of God. It's supposed to be manipulated and represent the voice of God in your own head. I'm like, this is all really good and interesting and cool. Yeah. That I, I remember, like, it's not this outer version of God 
who's talking down at you. It's an inner presence of God. And I just, mm-hmm. I remember thinking like, that's just Val Kilmer again. Like, well, how is, how is that differentiated from, oh, like it took a while <laughs> for like the dramaturgy when I was younger to make sense of that. Like, oh, I see that that's a very, very specific choice. But also the audio of pulling in earlier scenes and future scenes. Like, I will teach you what to say. And then you hear, let my people go. Like, you hear all these things from before. Um, The whip sound and people crying out. and It's just really strong. Mm -hmm. And as we talked about a little bit, the storyboard artists really led the writing on this, read the storytelling. And it does feel like it's a sequence movie, which is... Mm -hmm. Here's a sequence, here's a sequence, here's a sequence. And while it does in some ways feel like it has an arc, I don't think that's its strong point. You know, it's it's in these representations of moments. Yeah, the moment representation is really cool. I think there's a lot of strong setup in the first third of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then things just kind of... They're gone into the ether. Where did Moses's adoptive mother go? Do we get to see any resolution or conflict there? No. Okay. She's just gone now. Okay. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum's a side character brother because he's in the story, but doesn't add anything to the movie. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's fair. It, it takes 30. It takes at the halfway point. We get the burning bush. Mm-hmm. So halfway into the film, we get all the way to the burning bush. And then you have to get from the burning bush to the Ten Commandments in the last half of the movie. So the I, first, I think that's what you're scratching at. That first half is all building up this relationship between two, two people. You have Moses and who he represents and you have Ramesses and who he represents and then it's then it becomes the story of two peoples you know uh, all together and who represents what and from the very beginning you get Ramesses having a reason to do what he does he has his father saying you can't be the weak link in the dynasty and lose everything so you give him a personal, strong, dramaturgically airtight reason for what he does in the last half of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think you start to get some of that with Moses, but it's, it's I think the moment that he makes his choice to leave <clears throat> is a really dynamic scene. And I think we just end up with a lot of montages and dynamic scenes. I think ultimately they probably realized in the making of this that you can't do. This is a story of, again, not ironically, biblical proportions. Um, (laughs) And even the Ten Commandments movie of 1956 clocking in almost four hours long is arguably maybe too short. (laughs) I think if the book of Exodus were conceived of today, it would be at least one season of TV, maybe three. Right. 
And Prince of Egypt trying to do all of this and adding new context in an hour and a half. Uh, it's still trying to tell a complete story is really hard. And so you wind up with a lot of these kind of montages like, cool, we're interested in getting Moses out of the city and into the rural area. Then they're going to have a montage of him getting settled in the rural areas and getting a wife who then doesn't have any lines anymore. <laughs> she sings. She sings. She sings. Okay, my bad. She sings. Um, and you just have to get him to the next point. And so we don't see a lot of um, the conflict unfold internally. We just kind of start getting plot points after a certain time. And right. I think the the ten plagues, returning to the point of this episode of our podcast. Yay, um, we made it. We made it. We're there. Plant a flag. Um, the plagues are a literary montage like this it, i think it's hard to put make 10 plagues and make them interesting even though that plot alone could fill like a two-hour movie yeah. um so they probably rightfully and wisely turn that into a montage and start to get a little lost in the the plaguiness of it all uh if you're not familiar with the, the source material, I think a lot of this movie gets harder to understand and maybe you don't need to understand each of the 10 individual plagues. Um, Cause it's a point of, I think focus. Uh, and I think they focus on the stuff that's cool to show in the plagues. Mm, right. And then the last one that actually matters and is the dramatic point. There's no conflict during the plagues except like, please. No. How about now? No. How about now? No. How about now? No. How about now? No. What if I kill your son? Okay, go. Go. And so the yeah. last one is what's important because that's where the change happens. Um, I mean, it is interesting because we do get a huge moment where we see the Nile turn to blood. So there's your first plague, and that's made a strong moment to prove to, it's not about proving things to the Pharaoh, it's about getting the Hebrew people on board behind uh, Moses. Mm -hmm. And then after that, then it becomes about terrible, awful things building up and building up. And they go mostly in order, I believe, you have your frogs, your lice and gnats. You have your flies and wild animals. You have your livestock dying. You have fire, thunderstorm. Uh, and then you have darkness for three days, which is where the song ends. And it's a really riveting, freaky song. I remember listening to that a lot on the CD uh, <laughs> when I was in my... Uh, when I was in college, just listening to that over and over and over. There's something about this chanting um, moment where it just keeps going with, thus saith the Lord, repeating and repeating and repeating as a really big threat. It feels horror movie threatening. Um, and it does feel like somebody striking things down. It Like if... If there was music for smiting, this is it. Like Stephen Schwartz, you did it. You like this is smiting. 
like smite music. Mm-hmm. If you ask Siri to play you a smite music, you know, playlist, this would be probably be number one on it. I could just, see that. just imagine God like asking Siri to like play that or like Flight of the Valkyries, you know, would be probably second. And we do visually leave with um, not just the audio of the smiting, but you also visually see like Egypt in ruins as they're leaving. To give credence to your point of smiting. Right. And people walking over faces of fallen statues as they leave. And then you get, I think once you hit that point, it's like the movie is still about Ramesses and Moses. And you see their faces peeling off from each other. And you see Ramesses on one side and Moses on the other side. And they have that big finishing note. And then after that, it's no longer about Moses. Like Moses is kind of just there to put the staff in the water and do other things that Moses is meant to do. And Ramesses just fulfills what he's supposed to do, which is attack later on. You don't really come back to him to see him make that change of, I let you go, I'm rethinking it. No, I'm I'm actually gonna capture you. Yeah. So I know we originally chose this to talk about the plagues part and not the racism part, but I think, what this movie is actually a better example of in our topic today is of uh, Egyptian privilege. Um, right. Because it's it, Ramses the entire time is like, this doesn't affect me. Why do you care about these other people that aren't me? They're just slaves, Moses. He's <laughs> British as we do in the 90s in American filmmaking because uh, he's the bad guy. Um, and I think what we see that is most relevant to right now is with all the plagues and what's happening that either don't affect him personally or they're a minor annoyance to him Mm. until his son is dead. And that's what he sees that maybe the, the science of plagues is real uh, and to perhaps listen to the warnings he was given all along. Hmm. I, can I don't know if I have much more to say on that, but that's that's just an interesting image to mix with the summer of 2020 in the U.S. of just yeah. Ramsey standing over his dead son. I mean, there there is something healing about the song um, when you believe. You know, there can be miracles when you believe. I feel like it's a beautiful song, and it's out of place. Um, and I think it's, it's a remark. It has one of the strongest lines that, that gives me hope, which is the hope is frail. It's hard to kill. It's like hope is just hope, but it, it, you can't kill it. It'll still keep going. Like I, I just love, it's really amazing and evocative and poetic and there's strength and hope, even though hope is just hope. (laughs) Um, But then that song has joyfulness because the children's singing it. You get the children singing in Hebrew and it's, oh my gosh, it's so wonderful. And then it just gets um, undercut by the rearrival of the Pharaoh. I'm hoping, this is my greatest hope, 
is that in the stage version of the Prince of Egypt, which they're currently developing, that there is a character reason for that song to exist. Because many of the songs are sung with the characters' voices, but are not sung by the characters in the moment. They're just soundtrack for what the character is doing, as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, it's it's the difference if a whole new world you where they weren't lip syncing, you know, they weren't actually singing the song together about their moment happening in real time. If it was just them as a soundtrack to what was happening around them. It's there's a difference between a character living a moment and a moment being sung about the emotion just generally in a moment. I agree. And I'm glad that we're finally exiting, I think, a trend that began with Toy Story 1 in the 90s of this. There's this beginning of Toy Story and then late 90s, early 2000s was this march toward quote unquote realism of like computer animation makes it better uh, 100% of the time because it's more real. Uh, no singing. We're going to have these dark, gritty things. We're going to not hold back. Um, And that just turned into this really uninteresting phase of cinema. And now we have, and I don't think Prince of Egypt suffers from that too much. It's not in many ways a realism movie. Um, (laughs) But they don't sing. And that is a drawback, I think. I think if they sang, this would be more interesting. And rarely do I say that about a movie. Uh, But today we have movies that embrace surrealism in animation much more even if they are computer animated they have style they're individual singing is okay you've so many animated shows that have singing in them now because it's more fun and metaphors more interesting than just replicating what you see in real life in fact that might be a good way to start talking about we bear bears hey which is a fun way to talk about children in cages uh Oh, oh. Uh, so I love I do love Wee Bear Bears. Uh, my husband loves Wee Bear Bears more than I do, uh, but I still have watched a lot of it and <clears throat> seen a lot of it. And this movie's just really fun, even if it has some heavy topics. But it almost makes fun of some of the base level solutions that people have, like people in real life just going, "I'm going to move to Canada." Uh, and then the plot of the movie is they're trying to get to Canada to escape their problems. I'm like, ha, 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 Do you have your passport? Do you have, have you thought about where you're going to live or what you're going to do or how you're going to survive in this different country? You just know that they love bears there, so you'll be fine. And, and poutine. And poutine. I'm just really glad that Jack didn't ask to get poutine for dinner or something when we after we watched it. He was just not interested. This this is not good poutine in Columbus. It's hard to find good poutine (laughs) south of the border. (laughs) Wow. Okay. But go to Ontario. Lots of poutine. You're good. You're golden. So let's talk about what we get in We Bear Bears. So what is the you talked about one of the plot lines, which is bears moving to Canada. But what is the story 
behind that? Well, it's ultimately about bear racism, as we kind of alluded to at the beginning of this episode. Um, And people hating the bears and being annoyed by them. And I think what this movie does strongly is that at the beginning, the fun montage where they wreak havoc on the streets of San Francisco uh, is so they can get to this poutine food truck that's opening that they really want to visit. Um, It's such like this childish, selfish thing where they do cause a lot of damage and you have all these characters coming out saying like, I hate the bears because they did this. And the bears can put themselves because they're empathetic. Empathic? Empathetic? We'll go with empathetic. Uh, They can put themselves in the shoes of the denizens of San Francisco and say, yeah, that does (laughs) suck that we did that. We didn't mean to. Please forgive us. And they understand why it's bad. And I think that they do feel guilty, even if the anger isn't always well-founded. And it's it's a good standpoint rather than just black and white, like we're fighting racism. It's like, I can see how you think that I'm bad. Let me feel bad about myself, too. Mm. That's an interesting point. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, it is. What I always find interesting about taking a short form thing. So these the episodes are usually what 12 12 minutes long typically thereabouts. Yeah. Uh to something that's long form is trying to find that story uh, uh that you want to follow that's long enough that gives enough drama for this hour and a half long and I think they they went along the lines of I don't I'm not saying they chose this specifically because of this but you have two things in motion you have the finale of Seinfeld and you have the plot of the Simpsons movie so if you take those things the the finale of Seinfeld is here's a comeuppance of people who have for this entire show done selfish things and you need to have your comeuppance and the whole town, everyone is going to be against you and you're going to be faced with what you have done. And then there is the uh, Simpsons movie, which is you've done all this to cause problems and now you're going to have the government involved and the government is going to be the bad guy. So I'm not saying that the creators thought were like, hmm, what other things could we do? Or, you know, how could we get in Seinfeld and Simpsons movie? I just think it's interesting how there's this comeuppance for these lighthearted characters and the government being the things that that create the plot in this. Mm. I mean, We Bear Bears is not a show with a lot of traditional villains. Cause I think there are, there is of course an antagonist or an obstacle in every episode, but a lot of the characters who could be considered villains also act as allies in many ways. They're very, I guess more anti-hero, anti-villain, like even get Nom Nom, the internet famous koala at the beginning of the movie being yeah. his usual jerk self, but he's still like their friend, even though they have a mutual hatred of each other. Right. No one is all bad. Yeah. And I think that's one of the points of the show, too. No one is all bad. There are misunderstandings and there are obstacles to overcome, but it's not like 
any of these characters are all evil. And so you have to introduce a new character to sustain this movie-length plot of being bad. Mm. Which that I can get behind. Sense. Yeah. Because I don't... That's the thing. You have to turn... You'd either have to convert somebody into a villain, like turn the brothers on each other, which would not be fun to watch for, you know, 80, 80, 90 minutes. Often the the basis of one of the episodes, but but not not sustainable. No. Uh, Or you'd have to get transform somebody else from the town into a villain and make something rough there. But there also has to be big enough to sustain multiple transformations of character. And then they also made a choice which is, I think, strong in terms of going from the short form to the movie, which is to make one character the focus. So it's let's focus on Grizz having the largest journey and his story beats, even though, yes, it's about the three brothers together, let's give Grizz some more of the spotlight and follow and track him emotionally. Yeah, I agree that that one makes the most sense. And I'm glad they decided to focus on him. At first, it's kind of like, oh, it's just a Grizz movie for the finale. And then it's like, well, how do you make a, a movie out of an ice bear plot? I don't know what you do. Yeah. You you have to have emotions, and you have to you have to change your mind. And not saying that Ice Bear, in his own way, doesn't have emotions, because now that I watch it, I'm like, is Ice Bear autistic? Does he have autism? I wonder. I mean, he's very much in that Drax category of fictional characters. Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily. Uh, intended to be exactly that, but it is definitely relatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jack Jack totally gets behind Ice Bear. Whatever happens with Ice Bear, he just wants to... He's a totally on board. Like, yeah, Ice Don't Bear. Don't give Jack an axe. Right. No, never. Ever. <laughs> Maybe when you're older, you may have an axe. <laughs> Uh, so, as someone who I don't think has followed We Bear Bears as much lately, um, did you feel like this movie stands on its own and tells a complete story, or did you feel like you were missing stuff? No, I think I think I was able to follow it. I think it it sets up very quickly. Hey, here's three brothers. They're together for life. They're not related by by blood. They're related by experience and choice. They've chosen to be together. Um, Also, they live in San Francisco. And also the internet is real and animals are a thing that exists. Um, And I think the thing that I was confused by was who in the side characters was really important. Mm. And I felt like a lot of the things from the show or people that I recognize from the show were cameos rather than instrumental people throughout their journey. If that makes sense. It does. And I, 
I agree with you. And I think for the kind of story they're telling, that was fine because they have to be out of their element. Mm-hmm. Yes. And whereas the show characters may have helped them escape a little bit, most the bulk of the movie is out of their element. And what I was really surprised by watching it and enjoyed is they don't have too many other talking animals on the show besides Nom Nom, really, who's an internet famous animal. And they just kind of extrapolated and thought there's this whole culture of internet famous animals who talk and have this rave party in the woods that's like Burning Man in Oregon. And I thought it was just a brilliant <laughs> move. And it's just so fun to try and pick out what every animal represents from some internet video that exists in real life. Yeah, that was fun. I mean, Dramatic Cow, I think, <laughs> was my, my favorite when I re- realized, oh, it's Dramatic Cow. Dramatic Cow, Knife Crabs, um, <laughs> Skateboarding Dogs. They're all it's, good. It's so ridiculous. But it makes sense. And it's, we aren't famous. We we're trying to be famous. We're trying to fit in. But it's also the, what's your defining thing that makes you interesting to be accepted? Mm-hmm. You know, if we, what's your one thing? What's your one thing that you were able to break through that people have accepted you? If not the people, you know, if not cows in general, then this one cow mm-hmm. and then you can exist, but maybe not cows in general. There's a lot to unpack in this movie. Yeah. And I like that it's, I like that it's both on the surface, totally there, but it's also underneath, you know, mm-hmm. my, my son wasn't asking questions about uh, racism or anything else, but yeah, it's a it's a general lesson. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think if they started it this year and then for release later on, you know, like it didn't exist yet, and we were just sitting down to say, "Hey, let's start a We Bear Bears movie," how much of it? do you think would be different and how much, I mean, other than people wearing hopefully masks and, you know, we're not leaving their houses. I guess they couldn't Uh, cause that much chaos. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of the core of it would be the same because it's still a fun show that involves in crazy hijinks. I think it'd be less about being inside. Um, I, the one major thing that I think would be different is uh, the animals would be on TikTok. Mm. Not you too. Hmm. I don't think that's a substantial difference, though. <laughs> right. I think fundamentally the story that they were trying to tell is worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Um, and I appreciate that it allowed itself to get to get We Bear Bears dark. Mm-hmm. You know, not which is to say that there is there was danger for the characters. There was emotional depth to the characters. It wasn't afraid of afraid of going sad. It wasn't afraid of going to a moment of hopelessness and sit there for a little while. Um, Jack did get upset as we were watching them and 
cages and they were dragging everyone away and the fire and everything all together. Remember when a forest fire was one of the worst things? <laughs> I mean, because it's drawn from events of like when they were starting writing in like 2016, 2017, like there were a lot of wildfires in California then. So mm-hmm. that's what the big ones were. Um, but they, they really toy with your emotions at the end too. The color palette gets very like earthly and not cartoony and it gets mm-hmm. dark. And it, I think there's rain involved probably. Um, yeah, I think there's rain. The government officer even gets like a cattle prod or something, which is really like the most vicious, dangerous thing that's ever been on Wee Bear Bears as a weapon. But they still, like, as non, as ridiculous as it is, they establish in good storytelling form that at the beginning of the movie, that the sickest thing these bears do is stack because it's just one of the things that happens to Wee Bear Bears is they stack and they run. And so the movie establishes that these people have a problem with them stacking, even though the stacking has never caused anyone individually any problems. They just think it's weird and unnatural that bears do this. And the the climax of the movie to escape this fire is that all the bears stack into this giant bear Jenga tower. Um, I really enjoyed that. I didn't see that coming. Um, it, it It's... I mean, I think we've seen a lot of this animation, but it's like finding strength in what makes you unique. Right. The one thing that you learn, so that way it could be the thing that saves you. Mm-hmm. Or the one thing that was... I also like the thing that... The fundamental thing that's there is, as you said, is what saves you. I think it also helped that they showed us the young versions of their coming together to create a family and the origin of stacking, which was literally survival. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about. It's about survival, security, and togetherness. That's what it's about for those three, not just transportation. It's like, this is how we express our family, and this is how we keep each other safe, and this is how we protect each other. So, of course, hey, we have to protect everybody now. We're going to do it through this own, the same way. Yeah. I didn't expect the origin story of the bears to be in the movie. It felt like they were building toward that in the series and they didn't get to it. So it was nice that it was here. I can't wait to see in the more in the Wee Bear Bears Cubs spin-off series. Oh yeah, I forgot that was coming up. Which I assume we'll have all three of them together at this point. It'll be like after when they meet in the flashback of the movie and before them as adults in the show begins, I presume. Give me more baby bears. <laughs> it's worthwhile. It's worthwhile. Uh, from having seen the panels, I know Bobby Moynihan apparently has an impressive collection of everything with the panda character ever made. And we just have to make Bobby Moynihan continue to spend money on weird, weird paraphernalia and accoutrement, bringing the word back, um, <laughs> from Asia Pacific with panda on it. I just, I want that for Bobby. Here's the question that I have as we start to wrap up. What is the feeling that each of these movies leaves you with after taking you through its various plagues? Hmm. One of racism and children in cages and the other with actual biblical plagues and also racism. What, what are we left with 
in both of them as a final leaving the leaving the couch <laughs> feeling. The leaving the couch feeling. That's a sad summary of 2020. Um, right. For me, to try to sum it up quickly, I think Prince of Egypt is about, it's trying to leave you with that moment of um, triumph, which is, I think, why it ends abruptly where it ends. Right. <laughs> it goes very, it goes south very quickly from that point. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, but leaving with the the sense of triumph of overcoming the struggles and knowing that I think all the the Hebrews being aware of the privilege they had and not experiencing these plagues in the way that their Egyptian enslavers did, mm. um, and also escaping from just the metaphorical plague that they were under of slavery. And I think we, by bears, the movie ends on a hopeful note of these are problems that our characters faced and they can be overcome, not alone, but together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as an adult, you kind of leave like thinking, well, that was a nice, easy way to wrap that up. But it, going back to the title card of Prince of Egypt, I think the ending of we bears, the movie is, this is not literally how this is going to end, but spiritually, this is our hope for how it will end. Hmm. I think that's a good way of putting it. I think spiritually, I want to live in a world that bears are welcome everywhere, even pride parades. You know, I want that. This is the future that liberals want. I mean, isn't it already true that bears are present at pride parades? Or am I... I can neither confirm nor deny the menagerie of animals present at pride parades. Okay. Fair. <laughs> so do you, do you feel with, do you leave with a different leaving the couch feeling about these movies? No, I, I feel like, I feel like you hit it. I feel like triumph over struggle and the fulfillment of hope is really what Prince of Egypt is giving us, which is, I think, a good way of looking at right now, of, look, that we can have hope. I think there's something about hope and action as well. But who who are the people who will pick up the staff and say yes? That's That's the question. And then I think We Bear Bears leaves me with, uh, yes, it is possible. Maybe not in that fashion, but I do want to be in a place where people are together stacking and, <laughs> in, you know, enjoying those things together. And maybe we're not there right now. And maybe it's going to take um, a few disasters before it happens and people recognize that we are okay to be together, but maybe there is still hope. Hmm. I, I, get, I think hope is the biggest thing that we need right now. And so I appreciate having We Bear Bears and I appreciate Prince of Egypt and their different versions of enduring hope 
and togetherness. Yeah. Weed the Grizz came at a good time. Mm-hmm. Accidentally, or maybe it just always was going to be bad. Not yeah. not the movie, just the times. The times. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. The movie was always going to be good. <laughs> but the times in which it was released, we, no one has control over that. Mm. We don't. Right. We don't. <laughs> Should we talk about homework time, speaking of uh, hopeful well, things? Did we talk about our favorite things first? Oh, no, we didn't. I skipped favorite things. Oh, my goodness. That's how hopeful I was. I was so full of hope. I just... We're, right oh, past. obviously we're done. <laughs> I'm not in the moment. I'm in the future. <laughs> did you have a favorite thing? Um, I think my favorite thing is the internet animal rave. Mm. It's just fun to look at. I'm sure it was a pain to animate, uh, <laughs> but it's really fun. It paid off. <laughs> my favorite thing was, uh, it's a really throwaway joke and I love it. So they're at the, they're at the city hall at the, I guess it's the trial or something that's going on where the people are taking all the complaints and they have a binder of bare files and he's going through it. And then Gris is like, wait a minute, this is about us and grabs the binder. And then the officer grabs another binder and is like, <laughs> stole my binder. Like, <laughs> like yeah. started like it's, it's such a, such a cartoon, ridiculous joke, but that, like, okay, I see. I see what we're doing here. Like, mm-hmm. one, that it, the problem is big enough that there are two binders. And two, that it's like, I need to, oh, this is so bad. I'm going to write it down right now. Yeah. So those are my favorite things. That's a good one. Should we talk about homework time now? Okay, fine. Now that we're coming out of the plagues, uh, let's talk about things being over and getting over things that are over. So next time, we're going to talk about Tales of Arcadia Wizards, the final episode of Doc McStuffins, and the ending of Steven Universe Future. Those are three separate things. They are not one thing in a giant, like... Episode to end animation in 2020. Yeah, but like the the idea of the ending of things. Right. How do, how do things end? How do we say goodbye? You know, um, I believe it was George Washington who taught me how to say goodbye. Is this a Hamilton reference? It is. It was a really bad one. We should probably just go. Let's let's say thank you, as always. Thank you to Nigel Coutinho, our sound engineer. And thank you to Jacob Reed for our theme music. You can find us on Twitter at WG Animated for stuff, engaging with us, liking our tweets, whatever. And you can find all of our show notes on writersgetanimated.podbean.com. And you can find hope in the real world and the people around you in the art we all create together. Yes. I don't have anything to add. This is only going to work if we do it together. Good night, everybody.